Welcome to the After Hours Sessions Podcast. I'm your host, D-Rock, and I am joined by a very special guest, someone who has been an innovator and a legend in the femdom game for a while. I can say, honestly, I've been very influenced by this person and love his videos and love his work. He is the one in charge, the one we see, the owner of the awesome meanbitches.com for all our femdom you know, viewership. He also hosts an awesome podcast, Glenn King's Mature Audiences Mayhem Podcast. And he's as even recently dabbled into pro wrestling manager. So, you know, who knows? Maybe one day up there we're talking Bobby the Brain Heenan, Paul <laughs> Heyman, Jim yes. Cornette. And we yes. might be saying this man's name soon, hopefully. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Glenn King. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, D-Rock. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast here. Oh, it's awesome, man. This is this is truly, every episode's a blessing, but when you have special guests who have personally influenced you, like, it's it's extra special, so I'm, I'm glad you're on with us. Uh, absolutely my pleasure. I always like to get out there and <clears throat> tell people about all the great things we're doing, uh, and, you know, all the heart and soul that we put into making mean bitches, and it's, you know, it's, it's always fun to talk about it. Absolutely, and... We're going to get into everything with what you, you know, how you got into started with Mean Bitches and where this all started. But I have to ask because I have loved pro wrestling since I was four years old and love the history, love everything about it. So the fact that seeing on your Twitter page and you getting into being a pro wrestling manager and you're you're living the dream of so many of us. How yes. did that even come about? You know, my brother texted me the other day and he said, you just never grew up, did you? <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're basically just doing the things that you wanted to do when you were 16 years old and, and while the rest of us have real jobs. And I was like, yeah, is, that's it's so awesome. <laughs> Uh, so this particular gig, um, so, I mean, it kind of goes back, when did we start with Impact Wrestling? Um, so I knew, I knew Chris Jericho, and I honestly cannot remember how I met Jericho, wow. but he's a dude who keeps up with people. You know, like if you, if he likes you, and you give good conversations, then he just checks in every once in a while. And so like a year or two ago, he texted me and he said, hey, Don Callis wants to meet you. He's running Impact Wrestling, and he's got a project that he wants to use you on. So I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. So I uh, met with Don, and it turned out he had a wrestler, uh, um, Ace Austin, mm -hmm. that they were doing a program with where he was, he was cuckolding. <laughs> The other wrestlers he was he was sleeping with the other wrestlers wives and so he, you know that was part of his revenge he would take on the other wrestlers and then he would brag about it in front of them and stuff like that which is great this is right up my alley so they asked me to get involved and do a, a couple of of skits for them uh and one of them ended up with me as a porn director which was typecasting but Ace Austin started bragging after he won the X Division title about how he'd have all these Hollywood movie offers. And they said, okay, well, we're going to go to the set and see him in his Hollywood movie. And it turned out it was a porn movie. So that was cool. And, you know, they had me in there and I got them a couple of porn stars. And, you know, we shot a lot of stuff that day. 
And of course, you know, two, a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor because it was too risque. Uh, but that was cool. And then that led me to some other stuff. I actually ended up doing a gig as a uh, security guy on Impact a few months later. I think they just kind of did that as a favor to me because I told them it was it had always been my dream to do to, to be a fake looking security guy uh, <laughs> arresting a wrestler. And so they called me like, really, that whole thing happened on the day of, hey, Glenn, what are you doing? Come on up there. Come on up to the impact tapings right now. And uh, so I got up there and they gave me a security shirt and they said, you're going to run out into the uh, arena and tackle uh, this guy, Red Cup Jeff. And uh, so the funny part about that is that now I'm learning that wrestling is very much designed on the fly, you know, like. It's not like they really know what they're going to do two weeks in advance. They're kind of making it up as they go along. But they, we gather up for this thing, and we're all in the back, and they tell me, okay, Red Cup Jeff over here is going to be at the uh, concession stand, and we're looking for a hacker, and so we're going to mistake him for the hacker. And so then we want you to go over there as the security guy and tell him to come with you, and when he bolts, you go run into the casino and tackle him. So I said, okay, I love this. I really want to tackle Red Cup Jeff. So, but they, so I said, but, but you've cleared this with casino security, right? <laughs> and <laughs> they go, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. It's totally taken care of. So, but they didn't look too convincing. But I go, okay, I, I guess they know what they're doing here. So we go and we start doing this. And before we even start, uh, like a sheriff of the, of the casino shows up. And he says, what are you guys doing? And, put, and then me. And I go, well, uh, I don't know. You should talk to him. I'm just an actor here. Yeah. You know? So I point him to the impact guy. And the impact guy starts talking to him. And the, the, the guy comes back and he says, okay, you guys are cleared to do this. But just so you understand, if you would have tackled him without my permission, I would have, had, I would have tased you. Wow. <laughs> so, like oh well i'm very glad we got that out of the way yeah. so then I, I tackled red cup jeff and and a lot of people saw it a lot of people loved it yeah uh so that brings us to last weekend where jimmy wang yang hit me up uh, he's I don't, I don't think i'm supposed to call him jimmy wang yang anymore because you know wwe owns that name mm-hmm. so we'll call him jimmy wang uh jimmy <laughs> little wang is what i've been calling him uh so Jimmy had seen the thing on Impact, and he had done a, a guest shot for me when I had a Playboy radio show back like 10 years ago or so. He had come on the show and been a judge for one of our contests. So he hit me up and said, hey, do you want to manage? Um, a, you know, he said, I, I really want to get my daughter in a match so you can manage the opponents. And I was like, that is fantastic. I really am thrilled for this opportunity. So I dropped what I was doing and, and said, let's make this happen. And, you know, that had been my dream is to be a pro wrestling manager. They, they, somebody asked me that on another podcast um, on the Vegas Bad Boys podcast. They said, what would you be doing if you if you hadn't gotten into porn? And I listed off a bunch of things potentially. And they said, don't you think you might have been a pro wrestling manager? And I said, oh, now that I think about it, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things I really wanted to be when I was a kid. I grew up watching the Von Erichs against uh, Skandar Akbar and Gary Hart. Uh, Gary Hart was the manager of the great Kabuki, oh, among yeah. others. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I always want to be like that. Now, let me ask you, because you're, you're name-dropping the Von Erich. So you you 
like the territory days. You grow up with like the territory wrestling days. Right, exactly. So I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you, you know, I'm 52. So you're talking about in the, you know, in my, in the years I was 10 through 18 were the 1980s basically. Mm-hmm. And the Von Erichs were so hot back then in that territory. It's stuff that people cannot imagine today. Imagine having everyone in the city know who a wrestler is. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, like Hulk Hogan here. We're talking about the Von Erichs. The Von Erichs, if they went to a shopping mall, the whole mall would shut down. There would be a line around the building of people wanting to get their picture taken and wanting to get their autograph. Uh, it was they were as big as the Dallas Cowboys yeah. back in the day. And to prove it, they actually uh, did a, a show at Cowboy Stadium back in like 1986 or so. Was that the one like, in honor of David Von Erich? Right. The Parade of Champions mm-hmm. in honor of David Von Erich, where Kerry Von Erich won the title. They filled up like a 60,000 seat stadium to, to watch a, a small pro wrestling operation. No, and, and that's the, you know, that rivalry, you know, because I love pro wrestling present, but I love the history and, you know, the Von Erickson and the Free the Freebirds, you know, some wrestling fans now may know you've seen Michael Freebird Hayes, but that was like, that was like Alabama, Auburn, Oklahoma, Texas, that kind of rivalry with the Von Erickson and the Freebirds. It, it really did kind of like light that, that Dallas uh, territory on fire back in the 80s. It was so imaginative, just the, um, you know, just the, the, the angles that came up. Like, how do you have the same six people fighting against each other for three or four years yeah. with, and still make it interesting? But they did. And, you know, they had such cool stuff, especially when I was a little kid. You know, nowadays you've seen every angle done in wrestling ten times. But back then, stuff was happening for, you know, the second time or whatever. So I can remember uh, Santa Claus – celebrating in the ring with uh, uh, the Von Erichs and the Freebirds when they were still friends and then turning out to be uh, one of the, the Freebirds who would then attack the Von Erichs. So it's like, I can't believe Santa Claus attacked the Von Erichs, right. you know, or that, you know, or the, or watching every kid remembers watching Terry Gordy slam the cage door in the Von Erichs face. Mm. And uh, you know, all that stuff led to these amazing feuds no, and um, for anyone listening, if you, and I'm, I'm not sure, maybe you have seen it, Glenn, but the the Vice show, Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Um, for those who have it, who want to know more, I mean, you can see a lot of places, but a really great, like, hour-long documentary on the Von Erics, uh for that Vice show. And you can see the, the it's, you know, on Dark Side of the Ring, it's on Hulu, or you can go on YouTube, but I recommend... I recommend watching all of Dark Side of the Ring. It's a great show, but that episode probably still is my favorite. The one that they did with Kevin Von Erich, the last the yeah. surviving Von Erich. It's a really um, emotional and touching story, but it shows the influence and the impact that wrestling can have on, on people and a family, but also that the Von Erichs had their legacy on pro wrestling, not just in Texas, but throughout the country and the world. Yeah, yeah, they really changed. They changed wrestling forever. Really, they had a lot of innovative ideas in terms of how to use cameras, mm-hmm. uh, how to do backstage interviews, uh, how to how to set up little skits that you know would go from week to week and keep angles going for a while. I mean, they they were fantastic, you know. And then it was just a, an amazing thing when Sin Bodhi said to me, "Well, after the match, you know, 
go ahead and put the iron claw on Jimmy Wang. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I go, wait a minute. Do, do you, do you know that I'm a huge fan of the Von Erics? And he's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I was told that. That's why we want you to use the Von. That's why we want you to use the Von Eric iron claw. So that's cool. like, okay, this is going to work well because I do have strong hands because when we were kids, you know, I had two younger brothers. We practiced the iron claw. We really tried to crack each other's heads open, <laughs> squeezing as hard as we could. And we, we pra- I would be like, well, shit, I didn't get my, my brother, my little brother's head to break open and bleed like the Von Erichs do. So I need to go keep squeezing racquetballs <laughs> <laughs> until I have a better grip. Oh, man. that's the thing. That's the, you know, now be, you know, today's gender, which I think it's, it's, it's a good thing that like people they really hype up like do not try these moves at home but back then you know and even when i was growing up we we were trying power bombs and sharpshooters <laughs> and not realizing yep. like oh this can seriously paralyze or kill somebody you know we were like undertaker tombstone let's go and it's like well, you know we, we have these big you know putting people through tables and the our vice mm-hmm. principal will be yelling and everyone's in trouble so uh uh it's good that now they kind of like make that known like do not try these moves because they're extremely dangerous but back then we were trying to be our our you know our, our heroes yeah did you try a drop kick when you were a little kid i was the victim of a drop kick i didn't try <laughs> it i was never the i was always the power guy i was not the the most like high flying i i knew i couldn't do that but i definitely um one of the reasons why you know my my fam- my parents got called in was uh a busted lip from the drop kick and i was lucky that that's all that it was but uh yeah and i wasn't the worst someone we put a couple people through tables and it it was a mess but yeah i i was the victim of a drop kick though (laughs) so the problem with the drop kick you know and all the everybody in world-class championship wrestling uses a drop kick so i was like yeah i gotta be able to do a drop kick and i was a gymnast uh not a very good gymnast in high school but i was a gymnast and so i could do a lot of these um semi-acrobatic moves but what what i did not realize uh realize about the drop kick is that when you do a drop kick on a mat or a pro wrestling ring you have something to land on you know because you're going to land on your hands basically yeah and if you land on a hard floor you're going to break your wrists after doing a drop kick and so that was – I remember having a, uh, a sprained wrist for a while. Wow. Because I tried to do a drop kick on one of my brothers. That is that is awesome. It's really cool. I did not know your – I kind of – I mean, I figured to get into – I saw that you had been doing the – being a pro wrestling manager. I didn't know that you had the love and, like, knew, like, the territory days and – and that this is really cool. That's awesome. But I have to ask one more because you kind of, and I know you're, you know, humble guy, but you kind of slyly put in there that you know Chris Jericho, who is one of the all time greats in wrestling history. And I just, if you could, like, how did that relationship kind of start? Like, that's not just someone. That's you know, Chris freaking Jericho. Like, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so this is the thing, like, neither Chris nor I actually remembers uh, where we met. But back uh, 10 or 15 years ago, in the middle of the porn, uh, when porn was at its top, we got invited to a lot of parties uh, we porn people did that were not porn parties, you know what I mean? Like, I can remember going to Vinnie Jones's house and uh, meeting a lot of celebrity types at Vinnie's house. That was cool. 
there were a bunch of parties back in the day that we got invited to where we would meet people from all different walks of life. Uh, so I, I guess I probably met Jericho at one of those parties, maybe. And then we just got to talking. It just happens sometimes. You chat with people about things. Jericho is a big music fan, of course, yeah, being yeah. The, the rock star that he has turned out to be. And I used to – one of the first jobs I got when I was in Hollywood is I was a blues DJ. So that may have started the conversation. There's actually three or four celebrities I keep in touch with these days that – that was the common denominator that we had is we were all fans of blues music. Okay. So I don't, I don't know what it was exactly, but then I, I just remember, you know, and this was so long ago, like maybe 10 years ago that we, we first met just, just keeping in touch with him here and there him checking in. How's things going, man? You know, he's, he's curious about business of any kind, any kind of entertainment business. So it's not like he's asking me questions in, in detail about the porn industry, which gets a little uncomfortable when I have somebody like that, mm -hmm. but it's more like he would touch base, say, Hey, how's business? Well, what are you doing differently these days? And what technologies do you see? And, and, uh, and stuff like that, just that we're entertainment related. Yeah. Um, I really have enjoyed his podcast, you know, talk is Jericho. And that's something that I, I always love. And I, I, that's why I love doing these the podcasts. Cause you know, and I get that vibe, you know, from seeing your work and also, you know, talking with you that you have, you know, a lot of passions, a lot of interest. You, you, you create a lot of like ideas that like your mind's kind of always going and you're not just like a one trick pony. You like a lot of different things and you're willing to try things. And from hearing Jericho's podcast, you know, and just the different kind of guests he's had on from talking about like supernatural stuff and different rock artists, you know, with him being in, you know, the band Fozzie and definitely his wrestling background. It's a very well-versed, you know, he's a lot of different interests. So I'm not surprised that he took to a person to, kind of like yourself, who also has a lot of different interests and can hold conversation on many different topics. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a good guy. Um, and you know, like, yeah, I, I've always sort of, done all kinds of entertainment related things you know i just figured we're we're entertainers you know right uh and the funny thing about by the way his podcast is that so i had been at the time he started his podcast i had been doing playboy radio for five years or so and then vivid radio maybe it was somewhere in there i can't remember where exactly along the lines i was but i remember texting him and saying uh, great job on your podcast. You know, I, I can see that there are areas that you're working on and trying to improve yourself and maybe even making some um, uh, some suggestions for his podcast that he didn't ask for. But, you know, I was like, yeah. hey, listen, I, I've been to radio school several times and, you know, here are some things that I think um, you're doing really well right now, probably. And, and then after about half a year of podcasts, uh, I was like, Okay, forget the part about me giving you advice for podcasts. Let me ask you for advice. <laughs> because he was so good at it. He was way better than me at podcasts after after just a few episodes. And uh, so if you listen to any of my podcasts these days, which I haven't made a new podcast in a while, but I'll probably make one or two soon. That's the great thing about podcasts. But the thing that I, one of the things I like about him, well, there are two things that he does really well with podcasts. One is that he the transitions are pretty seamless because he'll go back and add them in afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so like if he's going to, if he, he, he knows he wants to do a commercial break, but he won't just say, Hey, uh, uh, you know, good talking to you about world-class wrestling days. Let's go to a break. And then we're going to talk about something else. He'll just keep going with the conversation. And then later on, he'll put in the commercials by uh, 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 going in and, and saying, I'm going to ask you next about so-and-so. Right. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. So that's mm-hmm. cool. But the other thing that he does really, really well is that you can't slip anything by him. You know, you can't say, uh, you know, uh, back in the 80s, I murdered a small child. And then I went on to become a great uh, uh, <laughs> uh, porn stuff. Like a lot of, of podcast guys and announcers and whatever, they've got their list of questions. And they're asking the next question regardless of what you said is the answer to the last question. What Jericho actually listens, so he'll go, whoa, 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 stop right there. You said a minute ago you just murdered a small child. Was that what – did I get that correctly? And he's really good about it. And, and I think you did a good job of that a second ago too, saying, hey, wait a minute. You slipped in a Jericho reference. Let's come <laughs> back to that. And then that way you let the podcast set its own direction. Correct. It's like floating in a river. You, you know, like you mm-hmm. go where the river goes. You don't go because you had a plan of making your little raft float to the left. If the river's going right, then just stick with it. Float to the right. No, because I, I think, um, and I appreciate you saying that, and I, I totally agree on, on what you said about Jericho's points, like why he his podcast, like him as a broadcaster, he does such a great job. And because... To me, even without the mic, those are the best conversations when I, even with someone I'm very comfortable with or someone I just met, but, you know, we start off, they say, well, what do you do for a living? And I say my job, and then they say theirs. It's like, all right, that's normal. But in something along the way, I may say something just normally or they, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, so you do that? Is then how, How'd you get into that? And it we kind of just flows and it once you know, stop here, one stop there, and we keep going. And none of it was planned. We just were saying... In, you know, a simple introduction, and it just went from there. And the key, what you to me, what you said is we, even if you're the person asking the questions, the most important thing is always to listen. Yeah, exactly. Those are the best podcasts. Yeah. And if you listen to my podcast, the Mature Audiences Mayhem, which can be found on iTunes and everywhere, the best episodes are the ones where it's me talking to somebody like Brianna Banks that I've known for ten years or fifteen years. And we're just chatting about old times together instead of um, instead of trying to get through, you know, well, how did you start in the business and all that stuff? Although people do tell me a lot of times that my interview of Jericho was the best episode we have, we've done. And that was good. And he uh, was very kind to come on my podcast. My you know? I, that was really good. And my I think mine that stuck out for your podcast, I do listen. I don't mind saying I, I'm a fan of your podcast. Um, Thank you is the Jericho episode was good, but the, the two that stuck out to me was the one with Julie Cash and the mm. solo one with Alora Jensen. Yeah. They were Yeah, Alora cool. I remember very well because Alora um, had won BBW of the Year but yep. didn't want to win that award. Yes. And so she was emotional about it. She was very emotional about how she had taken abuse from BBW performers who felt like it was unfair that they gave the award to her. And she's like, I never, I didn't ask anybody to win this award. I don't consider myself a BBW, you know, but 
depends on what the word means. I mean, it's big, beautiful woman. She's definitely a big, beautiful woman. It's just that people have, have sort of coined that term to, to point to, uh, um, overweight women. I, I don't, I don't know the politically correct way to say it. Right. Right. No. And, and that was very telling to me. And I, I appreciated the, the vulnerability and honesty that she showed and, and also kind of which you did well, which I seen well with Alora Jensen and Julie Cash through your videos is that they're these obviously beautiful women, but they have a badass side. And Alora Jensen, I knew had like a military background, but Julie Cash yeah. was even more of a surprise. I didn't know she was like, you know, she's beautiful, but also could, could kick your ass too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Julie was a, um, a softball player. Mm -hmm. in, in high school and college, she was a very successful college softball player. And I think she ended up uh, getting kicked off the team because she did porn while she was still in college. Yeah, no. So but, those, yeah, those are all awesome. she's a sweetheart. She's a super nice person, but she does enjoy being mean, which is funny. I mean, that's what and it's part of doing this uh, heel wrestling manager thing I did the other day. It's fun for me to be a heel. I truly enjoy being a heel. Like I like to put myself sometimes in these cuckold videos mm -hmm. where the concept of the video is for the guy to feel humiliated because his wife is having sex with someone that he hates right, right in front of him. But we don't I don't want to just do a video where the wife and the husband are all lovey-dovey and the wife uh, the husband says, "You know, I really want you to be happy." So you just have sex with anyone you want. And then she goes and has sex while he's over there in the room, all happy and, and enjoying watching his wife. Like, I don't want to make those videos. Somebody else can make videos like that. Right. I want to make it where the husband feels absolutely at the lowest point in his life, complete humiliation because he's watching a real man have sex with his wife and, you know, and then being humiliated and taunted by the wife. But I want it to be, not just a real man, but a man that he hates. Yeah. So then you got to play a heel. And there aren't that many people that can play a heel in the porn industry because it's not something that they're asked to do very often. Now, let me let me ask you, because being a fan of, of all these things we're talking about, being a fan of, of pro wrestling, like both of us, being a fan of, of porn, and for, for me also in like, being also a fan of, you know, meeting, I've meeting up with dominatrix and session wrestlers, you know, when you see them some in person and you meet or you talk to them, like you said, the sweetest people, but like you'll watch the videos and it's like, whoa, like, like someone for me, like I've seen like, you know, from Julie Cat, Laura Jensen, even like Ariel X, where I'm like, whoa, man, they kind of intimidate me through the vid, but then like, oh, they're the nicest people, but there is yeah. something to it. I kind of want to know like your opinion on why do people like nice people, love being a heel huh well, let's see why do nice people like being a heel you know maybe it's just because they just they're doing something they don't get the opportunity to do mm -hmm. uh that's one thought or maybe the heel is the real personality and the nice part is the part that they make themselves do yeah. i don't know it's it's a philosophical question because right. Not only have I had those conversations with my own self, like when I get into that role, sometimes I'm too good at it. And I have to like make sure that I stop doing it when the camera stops rolling. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's, it can be very enjoyable to play this. But I know that when I was a kid, we played like Dungeons and Dragons. Remember that? And, yes. And uh, so they let you choose your character and they would say, well, is your character going to be good or evil or partially good or partially evil or whatever? And I liked playing the evil characters. And, and it's like there's somebody at some point I should go to a therapist <laughs> and and work on that one and figure out why did I like being the evil? Maybe it's because I was a small kid, smaller than the other kids, and I felt like the everyone was, uh, you know, I, I was just always intimidated by everybody. And so I wanted to be like this bad guy that could win you know, I could win by uh, cheating. No, um, you know, maybe that's from watching Ric Flair as a kid, for example, for, yeah. for example, who, who kept coming to the world-class championship territory and get beaten up for, for the entire match by the good guy and then figure out a way to cheat at the end to win. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I will have this conversation and I'll say on, there's, I have two, like, reasons for me why like i i relate to the that's why i wanted to ask you is first like i have friends who do theater and for a couple years i helped out and you know like behind you know stage and stuff and i have a fear that's why i like podcasting like it's helping me to get through that like just social anxiety and people like all the attention on you and I remember I took a like a free class that that the local community theater was doing, and the acting coach talked about the importance of having to do things, you know, when you play a part, to when you leave the stage or leave rehearsal to not be that part. And she gave an example of um, she was like the, the the bad woman in in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, the play, who was like yeah. trying, to, you know, and she was like she saw like after months of doing like the rehearsals when she was driving home and she could see like her husband was like, Whoa, what's going on with you? She was keeping that character into her real life and it was dangerous. And I was like, well, I, I'm not going to lie, Glenn. When I heard it, I was like, well, that's that Daniel day Lewis kind of stuff, like whatever. But then I, I got in one play and I could see like, Oh yeah, I see how you can do this. Like it is dangerous if you're not watching out for it. So I, I get that. And um, so that's a real thing, like, when you're like, oh, I like it too much, like, what's going on? Like, I understand, like, I know you're a good guy, but, like, you, you know, we all, we question ourselves and, like, wonder, why do I like it? And, um, right, you know, for, for me yeah. also, uh, I can say I, I kind of enjoyed it because it's weird to say this, like, because I'm grateful that I had, you know, my parents who taught me right from wrong and to do, try to do the, the right thing and to not you know, if someone calls you a name, don't just, even though you may want to go up and just slug them, don't do that. But I kept seeing, even now as an adult, but especially when I was a kid, like other people who just do what they say, whatever they want, they, they act. And I'm like, they're not getting these harsh repercussions. And I'm always being told, well, Hey, well, you're doing the right thing or take the high road. And I'm like, I still feel crappy taking the high road here like what's going on and so part yeah. of me always kind of vision just being that like like you said that rick flair that stone cold steve austin like you just say what's on your mind and you get cheered for it or loved for it like because it just seems like even in today's world as an adult like i know i have a clear understanding but it's like man it does seem like the bad guys win uh yeah no it's 
that's the problem. And, and so at some point in your life, I mean, I'm at the point in my life now where um, I really just want to do good things in the world. Right. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of soul searching to get to this point, but I honestly feel like you put out, uh, you know, two units of good into the world and 10 units come back to you. Mm -hmm. So if you start your day trying to figure out how to give out those two units, then you'll be pretty happy at the end of the day when you get your 10 units back. It's as simple as that. But, you know, but at the same time. I do love being a heel and I, yeah. I you know, I'm just, I'm going to shoot a new video on Wednesday where I'll be a, a, you know, a jerk of some sort in a cuckold scene. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and when we get, if I get another shot as a wrestling manager, I, I want to be way more deviant of a heel. I've actually already cut two promos for Jimmy Wang. Uh, one of which I put up already. Wow. And then, uh, I've got all kinds of ideas for ways to harass him for months until we can get some kind of another match going. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I want to keep poking him. Yeah. Not to mention, he really did kick me in the back of my head. So right. I've got that as fuel for my, my heel fire here. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to see all this stuff. Um, but, you know, I mean, I mean, I was thinking about how to be a heel in this this ongoing dialogue with with Jimmy Wang, the way to do it, the way all heels are these days in real life is that they all play the victim card, no matter what happens to them. Yes. You know, like they go out and pick a fight on, on Twitter. And then as soon as the person responds back and says, Hey man, leave me alone. They go, Oh, now you're coming after me. Like the bully that you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How dare you be such a bully? And I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of heel I want to be the sniveling whiny heel who, you know, like after the match, I went into the ring, pushed Jimmy Wang, uh, and then when he turned around, I put the iron claw on him, and that's when he knocked my hands off of me, kicked me in the stomach, and then did a uh, amazing, actually, where kick where he jumped over me and then kicked me in the back of the head. But, uh, but as, as I see it, as my character sees it, he, he snuck up on me from behind and kicked me in the back of my head. That's yeah. how we're playing yeah. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I kind of have one, like, last question, but I, I do want to come back to it later, like, what you're doing with wrestling. But, sure. like, you mentioned, like, Ric Flair. So now either when you're doing being a wrestling manager or when you're being a heel for, for mean bitches, is there a certain – is there is it a wrestler or is there a manager who, like – I know you want to be original. You want to be you, but who is, like, an influence, who you're, like, kind of, like – drawn to from the past or present who you're like, yeah, I, I like their style. I like how they do it. A hundred percent is Chris Jericho. I'm a big Jericho fan. Um, I, not just because I know him, but because I appreciate the work that he does to make himself an all around entertainer and not just a wrestler. Yes. So in fact, and I, I've actually, I do this a lot. I'll get on set with a girl and I'll be telling her, listen, your character is going to be a bully in this scene. And then I'll say, let me give you an example that Chris Jericho gave me. And I talk about some of the things that Jericho said in my podcast about being a villain. And, and he said, for starters, you need to understand why does the kid who, why does a kid steal another's bicycle, steal another kid's bicycle and throw it into a lake? He didn't, obviously he didn't want the bicycle. He didn't want the bicycle. Otherwise he wouldn't have thrown it in the lake. Right. He did it because he can't because he wants to be a bully and then he wants to laugh at the kid that he did it to. 
He wants to get a victory over the other kid. And so that's what I, I tell performers as I'm, as I'm trying to coach them as to what we're going to do in the scene. Uh, and I think it, it, that influences me a lot as well. I, I watch all the wonderful things that Jericho has done and in terms of reinventing his character. I mean, you know, Jericho is playing a different kind of bully every two years in the industry. Yes. He really you is. Know, he, he has gone from it's even lately he's, he's evolved his character from the pain maker to the rock star without doing any kind of a, a turn, a heel turn or a face turn or anything. He, he has impressed me because and like everything you said, I, I totally agree, but the longevity in the different eras. So from like WCW and those ECW in the nineties, when you were, we were pushing the envelope and, you know, he was innovative, but now, you know, due to diff different things, WWE, when he was last there, I was like, well, how is he going to keep up? Like, it's way more for kids and PG. But then when he did the whole list thing, I was like, I got to give him, I love that. Like, you just made the yeah. list and it got me going. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, he's still, I mean, to me, the greatest thing I, people will know it, but when he was on WCW and he wasn't one of the main guys, like not yes. his fault. Eric I know Bischoff, what you're about to say. But when he just, I never seen anything like that. And to me, as a kid, I was like, the balls to do it, where he just named a, like a thousand wrestling moves and saying arm, arm bar. <laughs> <laughs> and I had never seen they went a commercial break and then coming back and he's still doing it. I was like, this guy is Chicken the wing. man. Yeah. yeah. Arm bar. <laughs> Cross face crippler, arm bar. Yeah, it was so great. Like, Bull Nelson, arm bar. Yeah, he had armbar on his list like twenty times. Yeah, so it was that. so cool. So like that's that is a great like, and he's not a physically big guy, which I also grew up like liking like because I'm a thicker guy, I'm not always the tallest, but like he you no matter who he's wrestling, you you believe it as if he's the heel or the good guy. So yeah. Okay, but this is one of the shocking things about it is that he is a huge guy. He's huge. He's humongous. He's. Like, you know, he's just under six feet, I think, but he is, probably weighs like 230, 240. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, this is the, when I met him in person, this, that was the first thing I said to him was, holy cow, you're way bigger than I thought. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, and at, somewhere out there is a picture of me standing next to him. There's several of them like that, but you can see just how he, he's three times the size of me. And I said that to him, and he was like, well, yeah. I mean, he said, you probably got used to seeing me standing next to Triple H, who is six foot five. And so I don't look like a big guy, but he is a, a big muscular guy, big arms, big legs, big chest. Uh, he's standing next to a normal person. He looks humongous. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, okay. So he, cause yes, the story you always have heard, like he didn't get that push cause he wasn't a, a you know, a big guy. He wasn't, but you know, in, in WWE. No, but that's cause back in, in WWE, back in that time, the big guys were six foot four, six foot five. Yeah. And anybody that was five foot 11, you know, five foot 11, 225 in the WWE was a lightweight. Right. But nowadays in wrestling, I mean, all of the champions, how big is Kenny Omega? How big is, uh, you know, Moxley's probably over six feet, but he's not a really big, he's not a Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And you see, you know, AJ Bryant and, and, uh, AJ Styles and, and Daniel yeah. Bryan. And so, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So now, uh, in past episodes on the show, like I've talked and even like, you know, my co-host Hans about where are 
our love of like this kink of that that femdom session wrestling like started now we've been talking about like your love of pro wrestling did that kind of connect to your love of like femdom and like dominatrix kind of stuff or were they separate 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 uh my first love of femdom came from watching uh the batman tv show back in the night the the uh, I wasn't around in the 60s when it came out, but when I was uh, a kid in the 80s, uh, they had latchkey kids, was what they called. We were the first generation of latchkey kids who, yeah. that meant your mom worked, so they gave you the key, and you opened the, the latch to the back door by yourself and let yourself in, and, and the kids were entertained by... You're, uh, you're, you're talking robots. to a fellow latchkey kid as well. Yeah, so there you go. So I watched Batman, and I remember every single day praying and hoping that it was a Catwoman episode. Mm. And uh, and that, little did I know that there were th- like something like three episodes with Catwoman or four total. And I'm sure I had seen them all in the first few months of watching and then had no idea that I was never going to see anything new again. But, <laughs> but Catwoman was amazing the way that she, you know, Batman obviously could physically overpower her anytime he wanted to. But she used her femme fatale powers to seduce him, and and then he could never arrest her. You know, it's like it's like, oh no, I fell for the old uh, uh, um, hypno drug on the lipstick trick. Yeah, Damn it. stuff like that. <laughs> so, but but what happened was, I, I got into the business somewhat accidentally. I'll try to make this not turn into an hour long story, but. Basically, in 1999, uh, the stock market was crazy for tech companies. Mm-hmm. You know, just in the same way that people look at cryptocurrency right now and think that, oh my God, these people are making millions of dollars. This is amazing. I got to get in on this. It was way worse than that, uh, way more extreme than that back in 1999. There were companies that were worth $20,000 in startup money on a Monday, and then three months later were worth. $400 million on the stock market. And, you know, and that was right. right after a period of deregulation. So you could kind of set up any kind of shop and get onto the, the stock market pretty quickly using tricks maybe or using legitimate methods. But companies with zero revenues were worth a billion dollars. And I was the founder in 1999 of a web hosting company. And the timing was perfect to found a company because we went from being worth zero to to a billion dollars um, in in uh, market cap immediately. Wow. And my wow. shares were worth, you know, 30, 40 million dollars. But for an 18 month or two year period, I was on this unbelievable roller coaster and I hated every minute of it. And, you know, it was a struggle because. I had a good idea on how to set up a web hosting company. It was a little unusual the way we did it without going into it. But all of our investors and board of directors and whatever, they wanted, okay, well, how are you going to increase the price of the stock? And I would say, it's not time yet. We don't need to be worrying about the price of the stock. What we need to be doing is um, being good at our core competencies. And, And so every day I was coming to work and fighting with other executives, stockholders, shareholders, uh, uh, board of directors, um, et cetera. And people wanted to get rid of me and I wanted out. And it, and it was just the worst period of my life. Yeah. Being, being a, a 30 year old multimillionaire was the worst period of my life. 
And when we got done with it and the company was worth like, you know, the stock market crashed two years later. Uh, our company crashed along with it, especially since the executives that were really in charge of spending the money had blown most of our investment uh, on stupid things. But I got out of there. I had a small amount of money left. I mean, not millions. You know, I'm talking about enough to last for six months to a year. And people were at the time saying, hey, man, you were amazing what you did to, to build this company up. And so why don't you help us come be the front man for this other startup company that we want to do? And I, I kept looking at all these offers and going, I, I can't do it. I want to, but I don't think I can put myself through that again. Like, I just don't want to be this unhappy person all the time who with the high blood pressure. Yeah. So I got in my car. I said, I'm just going to go to California and start up in the entertainment industry. And I don't know what I want to do, but I'm just going to go do it. Wow. So I, I drove to California, uh, set up shop over here or in, uh, in LA. Uh, I started, went over to Central Casting and said i want to be an extra in movies and then from that i started learning the business of entertainment and so i bought uh, a part into a partnership in a casting company we we're doing that and then i had a bunch of other businesses going like i was buying stuff on uh, ebay and then taking it apart whatever i bought and then selling the parts and, wow. You know, so it's like, hey, I bought this old computer. It had a hard drive in it. Yeah. Just take the hard drive out and reformat it and sell hard drives, stuff like that. And um, and then one other business I had is I was making websites for actors. You know, people would come to our casting company and then I would say, okay, well, I got a template here. I can, I can you know, just so you can tell people, go, here's my website. It's got my picture and my acting resume on it. Here's that. So we had this uh, girl who came to our casting company who also wanted to, to me to set up a website for her. But she said, well, I don't, I want it to be a porn website. And I said, well, that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> we're mm -hmm. putting up actors' resumes. We're not making porn sites. And furthermore, I'm an upstanding citizen of the <laughs> world with a reputation. I don't want to be involved in porn. I mean, I had that was only a year after I'd made the keynote speech at like a national lawyers conference on technology. I mean, I still had a lot of cred within mainstream technology and I right. always thought I'd probably go back to it after a couple of years of hanging around California. So I didn't want to do it, but she was, uh, six feet tall, blonde, gorgeous, big fake boobs. I was just thrilled to be around somebody like that at the time. Her, her name was, um, crystal white. That's okay. Her, her stage name. And so she said, well, I want a porn site and I don't take no for an answer. And she literally seduced me into doing things for her. Wow. And, and I was just thrilled to be getting some sex from this amazingly hot woman. So, so I built this website, but I said, well, what is your unique value proposition? You know, we have to come up with some way of making your website appealing to people instead of just being another blonde web, you know, who does, who does, who gets naked. And she said, well, I give good blowjobs. Can I say that on your show? Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. You can say whatever you want. So, okay. So she said, I give good blowjobs. I'm amazing at blowjobs. And I was like, yes, you are. But that is not a unique value proposition. What have you done that can make you unique? So she said, well, I've done these trampling and wrestling videos. So I said, ah, 
so you're like a dominatrix? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, then let's make you the queen of face sitting, I think is what we did. Something wow. like that. So we went and we started calling her Miss Crystal White, the queen of face sitting. And then we start, I started going on all these message boards and sort of building up the legend. And part of what I was doing was what they used to do back in the territories. Before a wrestler came in, they would create a buzz mm -hmm. saying, you know, uh, Killer Khan is this, this guy. He's a legend in Japan and people, he's the number one guy in Japan. People, people uh, lie down in the street for him, all that kind of stuff. You know, you spread the word. That's what I was doing. I was like, well, we're going to create your character for you by just going all over the internet and saying that, oh, everyone knows Miss Crystal White. She's the queen of face sitting. So that then when we started the website, people are like, oh, I've heard of her. That's Miss Crystal White. And wow. that website started making money hand over fist, like the day I put it up. Uh, we, and it was funny because all it was was like we would put up 16 pictures with captions telling a little bit of a story. We didn't even have – the internet wasn't good enough to have video back then on websites. Right. You're, you're talking 2002 here, so uh, – I, I'm, this is this is a and i figured it'd be a fast but it's more fascinating than i can even pro like that's so i'm gonna try not to so the first question is when you were in you know that start you're a lawyer in that startup and you're making a lot of money were your fantasies like you know but you're stressed you're not happy were your fantasies leading you to being involved in the entertainment business? Like, was that a dream you always had? Like, you wanted to do that? Or did it just kind of, you kind of say, I'm done with this, and you were like, I'll go to Hollywood? So, um, okay, so first off, not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. I did speak at the lawyer's conference. Sorry, but, sorry. Um, I, that's okay. I have a marketing degree from the University of Texas. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of always been my thing, technology and marketing. Um Fantasy wise, I let me think about that a second. So I did take acting classes when I was in college, and it is something that I always really enjoyed. You know, like I mm -hmm. would have loved to have been a pro wrestling manager. I loved pro wrestling managers when I was a kid, just seeing how they did. So, but I, I never really wanted to be. Well, no, I, I shouldn't say that. I took acting classes when I came to Hollywood. So, you know, it's a great question, but you would have to assume that I knew what I was doing. Yeah. Like that I actually had a plan and I didn't, you know, I was kind of just seeing where the wind blows. I knew I had, I traveled all over the country when I was in the high tech industry and there were some places that just felt right. Mm -hmm. So all of this was probably based off the fact that the last time I was in LA, it felt, it felt right. So then I decided I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm just going to see where it leads me. So I didn't really have a plan of being an actor, although I did sign up. I remember I signed up for acting classes when I got there. Dobie Gillis was my teacher. You know who Dobie Gillis is? I've heard the name. He was. He had a TV show. I mean, that, that wasn't his real name. Uh, that it was The show was called Dobie Gillis. And Denver – no, Bob, Bob Denver? Well, who was Gilligan? Bob Denver? Or yeah, Denver Bob Denver. Kyle? Bob Denver. So Bob Denver was on the show with him. So um, mm. he, was, he was a famous actor. And then his, I just remember his classes were so damn slow. Like we're eight <laughs> weeks into it and we still hadn't learned any acting. We had just learned how to cry. And I quit the classes. But 
but it wasn't really my fantasy to be in front of the camera. My fantasy was coming up with business ideas that made me millions of dollars. Right. On the sex side, though, I always loved going to stripper, strip clubs, hanging around there, uh, and, and just enjoying all the things that happen to you in strip clubs. So, And I always loved porn, for sure. Big fan of porn from, from an early age. Now, because even though it's in the... And you know, an early age of the internet, you you weren't the only one who could have made the the website for Miss Miss Crystal. Oh God, no! There, yeah, there were lots of people that wanted so to do that. Why do you think she fixated? Like, if you said no, she could have said okay or whatever, buddy, bye. And then, what do you think about it? Was that she fixated on on wanting you to do it? I think she just anybody that told her no was a challenge to her. Okay. I think at the time, if you, nobody would have told her no to anything, I mean, anybody, you, you could have said to her, hey, I'm just letting you know, Chris, Miss Crystal, uh, I'm never having sex with you. And she probably yeah. would have taken that as a challenge. And that would have been the best way to get laid. And that wasn't. So, yeah, I don't think it was anything. I, I think um, because, me. well, you know, I think it's fascinating. And if you disagree, let me know. It's especially I've thought this, I've seen it, but like this past year with everything going on and it's been a real gut check for everyone, you know, but like to me, it's also been a time if we take advantage of it to kind of really, we were forced to slow down to some extent, some more than others, but to really think and like, sometimes you don't know why you're chosen, but do you take the opportunity? If that door opens, we, we don't know why, but we take it. So it's like, you weren't saying no because you thought, oh, it, it would lead to sex in the cat and mouse game. You were just saying no, like, I don't want to do this. Like, your intention was, like, just an honest no. But yet it led to, and you, you know, that door opened and you went through it. And I think that's what's really cool, you know, about it. Like, people, so forgive me, listeners, I've talked about it. Like, Hans, I had never met Hans, you know, and over the summer he did a live Instagram, you know, thing, video and I'm at my job and I'm, I have like a lunch break and I'm like, all right, let me go see what's on Instagram. And I see he's on and I see no one else is on besides me. And I'm like, I'm going to ask, I closed my office door and I'm, like, I'm going to go ask if I can join the video. And so I just ask and he's like, oh, someone wants to join. Why not? And from there we start talking and I told him I, I do a podcast. I love podcasting. I love session wrestling and dominatrix stuff. And he was like, you should do a podcast, you should do one. I thought he was just being nice. And I was like, yeah, thanks, buddy. But he's like, I'm serious. And I was like, well, if you'll help me. And if you're serious, message me. And he did. And this is how that started. And it's like just that opportunity, like you, you take it. Like if someone throws it out to, to you, you, you try to run with it the best you can. And that's what I, I don't know if you feel that way, but I got that from your story. Like that's a, you know, great opportunity. And you, you ran with it. Uh, yeah, well, let, let me tell you the story of how I got, how I became the first and only male host ever at Playboy Radio. Yes, yes. So, and by the way, so I like what you're saying, because uh, I remember reading Emmett Smith's book, which was probably the most boring football book ever. But what I got out of it was, because <laughs> a lot of the book was like, well, on first down, they gave me the ball and I ran for three yards. Yeah. And then on second, you know, and so. But, but what I got out of that book was, if you see the hole, hit it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it, man. If you're going to be a running back, when you see the, the, the offensive line clear a spot, you got to get through there immediately. And when you look at 
failed running backs, it's always because they were looking for the big, big score instead of just seeing the hole and hitting it. It's as simple as that. But what happened at Playboy was I had met the uh, the guy in charge of Playboy Radio at a wrestling event. Actually, <laughs> this I remember now. There was a guy that put on like a porn wrestling event of some sort. Hmm. And so I'm sitting, I went by myself and the guy I'm sitting new, sitting next to says, yeah, my name's Farrell Hirsch and I, I run Playboy Radio. So that's cool. We met and, and became friends. And he said to me one day, hey, man, I got a gig for you. I don't know if you want to do this, but I want to do a wrestling show on Playboy Radio. So he said, it's going to be great. You know, you're going to go, there's a company that's already doing this. And you're going to go down there and announce it and do all this amazing stuff with this, this um, wrestling company that has females wrestling males or females wrestling females and, and beating them. So I said, oh, okay, I, I, that's great. And uh, he said, yeah, and the best part is that you're gonna, uh, we're going to pay your company for this production. And then you're going to just turn in episodes to us and, uh, and, and then, you know, it'll be great for your company. So I said, okay, hold on a second here. <laughs> I think I see where this is going. You want to have a wrestling show, but Playboy doesn't want to have responsibility for what kind of injuries occur on your wrestling sets because there are bound to be some for what you're describing here. Mm -hmm. So I said, you, you want to hire my company to be the middleman, and then my company will end up getting sued out of business when somebody breaks their neck in the wrestling room instead of playboy so he's like oh uh yeah that's exactly what we want <laughs> so it's like okay i'm not doing that man i said I, I i love my my life too much to risk it all on something like that uh but let's talk like what are you trying to fill like what do you need for your slot and he said well we do just need something creative and fetishy because all our other shows are basically phone sex so it's like okay well th why don't you let me um sort of buy advertising time and you know i'll just take your slot and i'll we'll call it like the mean bitches show or something so he said well, we don't have male hosts so just give me a female host you can do it so i said okay aiden star would be fantastic let's get aiden star so we got aiden star to do this this femdom show but in the test shows there was a problem in that the uh aiden is a real lifestyle fetishist yeah. So she would start talking about a girl dominating a guy and then she would move into the territory of so then we took some nails and we nailed the guy's balls onto a board and then we used the blood that was streaming out of him to make designs on his face and and you know and then we started working on on more gross stuff and I Pharaoh would be like whoa 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 you can't <laughs> talk about blood and nailing balls to boards on Playboy like we do have a line you can't cross. Wow. So then he said, so he said, what's your suggestion on how to solve that problem? And he said, okay, I know you don't have male hosts on Playboy Radio, but, but Aiden will be the host. I'll be on the show, and I'll just be there as a sidekick like Robin Quivers mm -hmm. to just sort of nudge her back into the mainstream world whenever she starts going off on a tangent like that. And so he said, okay, that sounds good. And that's how we ended up with – God, what did we – I think we called it the Mean Bitches Show – could be but um but it was me and aiden together and we just ended up being this incredible team and and pretty soon i was established and could, uh, playboy had a male host as simple as that that for is five years awesome
That is really yeah. And so now, man, there's so many avenues. Like, wow. So that is really now. Was that always your like? I know you said like you grew up watching porn. Was that always like what you were kind of like driven to? Like, as far as like your porn watching was like a dom type, or were you into other stuff? Like, like how did you kind of find your way to this is my my avenue, my niche? Well, it was really Miss Crystal that put me into the niche, but um, but I had always been in my target market right now, which is I like meanbitches.com to be femdom for the femdom curious. Yeah. Okay. So I don't. I never wanted to make anything with uh, a guy getting his balls nailed to a board. Yeah. Um, I my theory was if you ask a room full of guys watching a football game, hey, how many of you guys? want to be tied up and spanked and have your na- your balls nailed to a board, maybe one person in the room raises their hand. Yeah. Probably zero. But if you ask them, hey, who in here would like to have a really hot girl just take charge and throw you on the bed and sit on your face and, and tell you to lick her pussy, then probably eight of 80%, you know, eight mm-hmm. of the 10 are going to raise their hands. Everybody loves that. So that's what I was shooting for since day one. It was always the really mainstream aspect of femdom. And I've always wanted to get the guys that are into regular sex and just, you know, like it when the girl's in charge. And and that describes what I've always been into. I like that type of thing. I, I kind of, I think I, this is why I really wanted to talk to you. One, one of many reasons, because I think that's why I want to do with the, the podcast and, and also, what I like as well is like, I respect everyone's fetish and kink, but like, I'm not like, like, like you said, that the balls and the nails is low. That's not for me personally, but like kind of like the example, you like that mainstream, just a woman wanting to take over and, and have like, that is really like what I really enjoy. That's why it's, it's a mix for me of like Dom femdom, but session wrestling and like sex. I love watching like evolve fights and different things like that as well. Like, so I'm, yeah. I'm kind of with you. Like, yeah, it's it's that mainstream of it. Yeah, we're going to do a really cool wrestling scene pretty soon. I'm trying to get this on the calendar right now. But I actually want to have a pro wrestler come in and coach us on how to do some of the, the holds and, and things for the scene. Oh, yeah. So I want to wrestle a girl and then have her defeat me. And then, uh, and then we'll have some, so it'll be, it'll be essentially like an evolved sex type of scene. Now, do you have certain, when you think of like this kind of like vision, right? Is it kind of blank? Like with the, with the woman and then you kind of just see who's available or do you have like a perfect, like you're like these certain, you know, porn stars or models fit my vision. Like you think of them. Well, you know, I want to do it with Lana Violet, to be honest, but I, I don't want to because she's not big enough. Mm-hmm. So, like, Lana's done some wrestling stuff, and she would be great, but we wouldn't be taking advantage of the uh, the pro wrestler coming in to coach us. Because if I get a girl that's got some muscle built onto her or just some th- some strength, then we can have her picking me up and body slamming me. So, and, you know, somebody with martial arts background would be delightful too, but, um, so I have somebody in mind and I don't want to say her name because I, I haven't got her to say yes yet. I just reached out to her yesterday. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I just did one with Sarah Jesse a couple of weeks ago. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look, it's well, shit. I haven't put it up anywhere. So I put a, no, I haven't put any even any teasers of it. I'll be darned. I wonder if she put it up. But Sarah Jesse lives down the street from my studio. So whenever she had it has a week where she's not booked for a lot of scenes, she'll text me and just say, "Hey, can I come over and sit on your face uh, so that I can have some more content for my OnlyFans page?" So I'm usually like, "Oh, that's great. Let's do it. Of course. How am I going to say no to her?" So she's, she said, hey, let's wrestle next time I'm here. And I said, that's great. Let's do it. So we did this thing, and it's – it's. Um, I was just looking at your web uh, – your Twitter feed. There's an example of a girl at the top of the feed doing a, the arm bar correctly, mm-hmm. Ronda Rousey style. Well, that's what I was shooting for. So now you're tempting me. I got to um, – okay, so here's the tweet. It says, Tia Wrestler mm-hmm. from February 9th. Alpha men, there are just wimps that haven't met. Alpha alpha men, there are just wimps that haven't yet met Tia. I think that's supposed to be they are yeah. just wimps that yeah. haven't yet met Tia. But anyway, she's doing an armbar with her foot in the guy's face. This is beautiful. Yeah. So that's what I wanted Sarah to do. But Sarah didn't know how to do an armbar. So I, did, I showed her how to do one, and it came up different. Just a different kind of armbar. But it looked really good. So, so now i got to edit this wrestling scene no we're, i've already rest i've already edited it all i gotta do is put it up sorry i'm just uh stream of consciousness no here. no it's, it's, it's all good it's, it's cool to hear who to hear the, the process. stuff that i do with sarah like a lot of times it doesn't even end up on the website because it's not like i needed the content it was her that needed the content and i don't necessarily have a spot for it i mean with like i always put it in clip stores but it's not like this is something that like there's already so much sarah jesse on mean bitches yeah. that i don't have a spot for it on the on the website right now but anyway we have this cool little wrestling scene with with me and sarah jesse but sarah's not a you know she weighs like 90 pounds or so she's not somebody that can lift me up into the air right so that's what i want to do something with somebody that's bigger and i have somebody in mind who's very muscular and does uh a lot of porn, but she's more into fetish than she is into doing sex scenes. Gotcha. Now, for me, I've seen you like some of my, I've mentioned like Julie Cash and Laura Jensen. They're some of my favorites. But you, you've had Alexis Texas and even Naughty and you know Ryan Connor. Is there someone I know? Because like it's a business. But like when you were like, it might even be after you've already made it. But like when you're growing, you're like this. And you you booked this person to come on and do a video for the first time. Were you like, holy shit, I got whoever. It could be a, not one or it could be a bunch of people, but you got them to like come on and do your videos. And you're like, wow, like we're we're kind of we're doing something here. Uh, yeah, like yes, my first few years in the business, everyone was like that. It was just exciting to work with all these performers that I'd seen. Uh, you know, I was a huge Christy Canyon fan growing up. You know, back, let's say, when I was 18 watching porn. Uh, and it was a thrill for me to meet. I met Christy Canyon the first time I came on Playboy Radio that as a guest. So uh-huh. I, think, I think I met Farrell at the wrestling thing. And then he said, yeah, you should come on Playboy Radio, get a couple of girls, come on the Christy Canyon show. So I had Crystal White and Taylor St. Clair booked to come on the show with me. And both of them didn't show up as they were both prone to do back then. Right. And I ended up going on the air by myself and hit it off with Christy and then and then had a very special relationship 
with her that's gone on for 20 years now. But um, so that was a thrill to get to meet Christy Canyon. I shot uh, Portia Lynn back in the day. Okay. And I was a big fan of her back in a long time ago uh, before I got in the industry. Um, huh, let's see. I have to really go back in time to think of this. But all of those girls were girls that I was thrilled to meet. I mean, that's one of the great parts about the business your first couple of years. Mm-hmm. That you're trying not to act like a mark, you know, like right. a, a wrestling yeah. mark. So you, you girl comes on set and you're all cool. Like, you know, Oh, what's your name again? Ryan Connor. Okay, cool. But you know, you're just giddy like a school child going like, wow, it's Ryan Connor on my set. This is amazing. Oh, cause for me, and I'm glad you said Ryan. Cause that's kind of where I didn't really see Ryan Connor's stuff, her like original run. And then she stopped and came back. I think like, but like when I saw Ryan Connor, it was through your videos. And I was like, who is this? Like, and I was just like hooked, and it, it started from watching her on, on Mean Bitches, and it kind of went from there. And but it was like wow, like and it was just like really cool to see. And then I saw like I had known like Alexis Texas, but then I was like, he's got video with Alexis Texas, like. Well, yeah, but Alexis is like a lot of these girls is the other way around. So so like Alexis was in her tenth scene in the business when she came to work for us. Nobody had ever heard of her at that point in time. She had she had just bleached her hair blonde. Mm-hmm. So this would have been like 2006 or seven or something like that. Uh, so she was just a girl that I saw on an agency website and said, I think there's something unique and special about her. Wow. And Ooh. shot her. So I got her before anybody else. You know, same with Christina Rose, who, who I like to think is the GOAT. Uh, you know, overall performer. I don't think there's anybody that's been this done as has been as great consistently as her. But I mean, like she wasn't a star when I met her. She was she was very young. Kelly Devine, we shot before she mm-hmm. became a huge star. You know, the girls that were really thrilling for me to meet. Like, like I remember Vanessa Blue was somebody that I was just amazed yeah. that I could have on my set. I'd seen her in videos before I got in the industry. Uh, Brianna Banks, you know, that was amazing to have her and, and become close friends with her, you know, but then, but if there's more joy in me for somebody, for discovering somebody, you know, we shot Annika Albright in her very, when she was very early in the business and I knew she was going to become a huge star. And then she was like performer of the year for two or three years in a row. And it's like, yeah, this is no surprise here. This girl's amazing. That's awesome. Now, do you get more joy being on camera or being the director? Um, it's just different. You know, like our scenes are better when I'm the director than they are with me in them. Mm-hmm. Because I do a lot of things behind the camera. I'm, I'm giving the girl things to say. I'm coaching her. I'm giving her signals with my hand. Move over there. Turn your ass to the camera. Do this. Do that. So it's going to be better if I'm if I'm uh, directing. When I'm in the scene, there's a different thing I bring to the table. You know, like I don't think anybody captures the the Adam West Batman like I do, yeah. of the guy that goes in with strong intentions, but he's just so dazzled by the girl that he's dazed. Yeah. So you know that's a character, and I don't get I don't think anybody quite plays that character the way the way that i want them to as good as i do 
Right. So right. we just get something different. Now, I obviously enjoy being in the scenes. I, I, I you know, we, and we do two different types of scenes. Sometimes I'm the sub. A lot of times I'm the boss that gets dominated by a secretary. I love doing those. Uh, those secretaries are cool. Yeah. And then sometimes I really enjoy being the mean jerk that seduces a guy's wife and uh, and then bangs the wife in front of the guy. You know, like I, I like my favorite series of that is the uh, Indecent Cuckold Proposal series where I'll walk in with a briefcase full of cash and then the wife will say, I, honey, we, we need money. And I met this guy at the grocery store and he's great. And then I'll brag about how rich I am and then start belittling the husband and say, yeah, I know that uh, – your husband uh, hasn't been able to provide for you because he's such a loser. And, um, you know, and it's like, hey, but listen, I'm not trying to insult you, buddy. I'm just trying to help you guys. I'm trying to give you an opportunity here. I will give you – and then I'll just start pulling out money out of this briefcase. You know, I'll pull out like $100,000 out of the briefcase, and then I'll go, I will give you $200 if your wife will have sex with me. And then she'll be like, yes, we'll take it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, so that I, I love doing those too. And I think I, I play that dickwad of a guy better than the heel better than any of the guys that we've used no you do a great job i can say so from seeing it like you do an awesome job um i i wanted to ask you with your unique like background like when you you drove out to hollywood and you were with you know casting stuff and everything do you think i don't know if you knew it or unexpected like and then doing radio and 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 being on you know playboy's first like male host did that give you like a unexpected like you know i don't want to say advantage but help with like then starting like your own like porn site and directing videos like your 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 unique like background or do they not really go hand in hand for you no no it 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 was no i already had the website before i got on playboy but that's why I did it. Was it, it promoted the website and it, it helped me get that website out there. You know, we, we were making really good money back then. Everything was successful about it back then. But, you know, part of the problem was just mainstream credibility within the industry. Mm-hmm. There was nobody. So I'm in the Hall of Fame now. And, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that I'm the only fetish director that's in the Hall of Fame, pure fetish director. There are guys like Bruce Seven who back in the day directed – hardcore porn movies and then he also would do some bondage movies on the side but i'm pretty sure that i'm the only guy that that did this and got mainstream recognition and and that was the hard part back then it's like i can remember going to porn star karaoke and not being sure which side i was supposed to sit on the porn people side or the regular people side Mm. because people in the porn industry didn't recognize me as a porn director back then I was just some dude who was doing a fetish website. Wow. So coming into Playboy gave me the opportunity to promote myself in the mainstream of things. Uh, And and people started to go, oh, who is this guy? And what are they doing? And oh, wait a minute. This isn't just totally fetish. This is stuff that anyone would appreciate. But but then to be fair, I have to say that it was John Stagliano who somehow – Oh, you know what it was? John Stagliano signed up for MeetMitches.com. So I'm looking through these, you know, the new joins in a given day, and I'm like, what's this name? John Stagliano? So then I sent him an email saying, hey, John, uh, this you are not allowed to pay here. This website is free for you. I'm so honored that you joined my website. 
And he said, yeah, you know, I just wanted to check it out, see what you're doing over here, because I like uh, ass worship, and you're making these ass worship videos. And so I was like, oh, wow, my name's starting to get out there. So, you know, people in the mainstream are starting to see me. So then he invited me to come to his office and meet him. I walked in there thinking it was going to be me just saying it's great to meet you, and there was no objective in that meeting. Mm -hmm. And then he – immediately started in with okay here's the structure for bringing you on as an evil angel director wow and i was stunned and he was like oh didn't you come here to beg me to be an evil angel director and i was like what no i'm making tons of money as a fetish director like it's not it didn't cross my mind that you would want me to be a director here uh so but but anyway so he then gave me that first big break and suddenly I was doing videos for me for, for Evil Angel and suddenly everyone in the industry knew who I was. And and then, you know, then I started winning a few awards here and there. And, and suddenly I was part of mainstream porn, whereas you can look back, all the other directors that were fetish directors from back then are all gone. They're not even in the industry anymore because they just reached a certain point where their market was finite. You know, they just couldn't get beyond their their small base of fans. And, and get into doing more stuff. I was, because of Evil Angel, because of Playboy Radio, this goes back to your question, because of those two, I was able to break out of my niche. Okay. Okay. And, and when you say break out of your niche, do you mean, like, just get your face out there more? Or do you mean that you were able to do more, like, innovative stuff, kind of, like, within your niche, but still outside of it, like... Well, it's just the problem is, is that if you have a, a market of fans who like porn and, and you say, OK, who likes sex like 100 percent of them or, well, let's say 98 percent are going to say, well, yeah, I enjoy sex. But if you say, well, who enjoys uh, uh, ass licking, you know, who, who enjoys uh, being uh, subjugated by a woman and forced to lick her ass? Your marketplace is shrinking then. Now you're down to like, you know, 1% or 2% or whatever. Uh, you know, when you get into the female domination, you, you just, it's a much smaller audience. So if you're making, a, a, if your website is something like, you know, uh, Scissor Girls, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, nothing wrong with Scissor Girls. Love, love the guy that, that makes uh, scissor stuff. But your audience of Scissor Girls is finite. There are only X number of people in the world who can sign up, who want to sign up for Scissor Girls. So if you're around a long time, you're pretty much gonna, gonna penetrate that entire market and then that's it. You have a finite size your business can grow to. The only way for Scissor Girls to reach the next level of success would be to branch out and become Scissor and Carry Girls or Scissor and, you know, Scissor and Wrestling Girls or whatever. You, you know, you gotta get out of your niche is what I'm saying. Yeah. So. At the time, as I first got in the business, you know, I was kind of limited to the guys that were fans of face sitting and ass worship. And I knew there was a much bigger market in terms of mainstream porn of guys who were like, no, no, I, I don't want to necessarily be a slave per se, but I, I want to be in a sex situation where the girl takes charge and is aggressive. So like, that's a big market. I wanted to get into that. And that, that's how I got out of being just the face sitting guy into, into that. No, and, and A, that's awesome because I did, and I should have said that in the intro too, I apologize that you are a Hall of Famer, an Avian Hall of Famer, which is really, oh, that's a, that's that's a, really cool though.
because that's something that um from because that you know we we talk a lot about session wrestling and I, that was always my first love with with you know the femdom and like sex work all that stuff like with session wrestling but wanting to get that and wanting to make this this podcast even like to make it to a to the session wrestlers fans who love it but to a bigger audience as well and that's why it's interesting to hear your story because from talking to you know my co-host off air but also like and on air and also talking to like certain like session wrestlers of like how to grow it and you know hopefully wanting this podcast to be a part of you know, growing that, but also I have other interests too. That's why I'm, you know, I'm a fan of, you know, like your site and of you and different things. So like, that's why that, you know, I asked that question cause it's just really interesting on you were able to, to, you still have your roots in the fetish, but you, you've become mainstream and, and that's, that's inspiring for, I could say for me personally. So it worked. So, so like people say, Hey Glenn, why did you make those videos with Jessa Rhodes? Jessa, the MMA bully given that it's not really your forte. And it's like, hey, but we're trying to lure some people in, uh, like D-Rock, who are fans of wrestling and scissoring and whatever, and who then checked out the rest of our website, you know, stuff like that. If I, if I lured you in with something that fit you and then got you to watch our other stuff and become a fan, then that's exactly what the plan was. Yeah, it, it did. And that's that's kind of where, yeah, I want to want to do the same, hopefully, with, with, with this and... So that is just really, really awesome. I, I do, before I let you go, I could talk to you. I, I, I want to have you come back on because this is, I could do a part two with you. This is really, you, you have been awesome. I get like the perfect guest, but something you said earlier in the conversation, I, I checked it in my brain. Cause I, and if you don't feel comfortable answering it, I understand, but you, when you talked about meeting Chris Jericho, you said that you had gone to like parties with celebrities and people recognize certain people. And I wanted to see, was there a moment where for you, where you were like someone, a celebrity recognized you and you were like, holy shit, like so-and-so just recognized me. Uh, I don't think, no, no one has ever recognized me. But I've always been surprised sometimes that re- that they'll meet me through a girl and that every once in a while a guy will be really cool and then say, hey, I've watched some of your stuff. So I'm trying to think of the greatest example of that. Like, should I even drop this guy's name? I'll, drop, I'll give you a great celebrity story here. Okay, so I'm not going to give you this guy's name. I, even though I, I may have said it publicly before. So one time I go to a concert band that i'm a big fan of mm-hmm. uh so the the lead singer of the band knew brooke haven brooke was a close friend of mine did a lot of my videos he was my production manager for many years so we go to this concert and we go downstairs into this green room thing before the show and this guy's the lead singer is talking to brooke and brooke introduces me to him and he says, hey, man, it's great to meet you and so-and-so. And, yeah, I've seen some of your stuff, and I love your work. I'm like, wow, unbelievable. Oh. This guy has heard of me. So then we start talking, and I, you know, I mentioned him. I'd done a blues radio show or whatever. And we're talking for like 20 or 30 minutes, and it was fantastic. And he, he gave me um, a harmonica, wow. autographed it, whatever. And then he pulls out a joint. It's like, hey, want to hit? 
So I'm like, well, yeah, so-and-so <laughs> big famous guy is handing me his joint. Of course I'm going to um, hit it. So I hit the joint, and then I hand it to uh, to Sarah Jesse, who was with me also. And and she takes a hit, pass it back. We're passing this thing around. We pass it back in. We're good. So then like an uh, hour later, we're actually watching the show. And I turn to Sarah, and I'm like, Sarah, this is the most amazing pyrotechnics I've ever seen on a rock concert. Like, this is crazy. And she goes, yeah, there are no pyrotechnics. <laughs> I'm like, what do you, no, no. I go, the laser light display that's up there, you know, with the big fluffy purple dinosaur thingies that are crashing and fighting against the skeletons. And she's like, yep, there are no skeletons. There are no purple dinosaurs. <laughs> so I'm like, well, wait a minute. How do you not see that? She goes, that is the effects of the Jeffrey. That is the Jeffrey that you smoked earlier tonight. I'm like, the What? She goes, the Jeffrey, you know, like in the movie, um, uh, Get Me to the Greek. I'm like, there's no such thing as a Jeffrey. She goes, of course there's such thing as a Jeffrey. You just met a rock star. What do you think they do all day? <laughs> so it's like, you just smoked a combination of like uh, marijuana, heroin, and like 82 other substances, including horse tranquilizers. And oh, wow. So, so I'm like, well, okay, uh, hold me. Holy <laughs> shit! She's like, I'm gonna get you through this. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How come you don't? You don't. You took as many hits as I did. It's like, yeah, but I'm a porn star. We do this. We we do this every night. You know, like I've been. Drugs have been in my system for a long time. So I'm like, okay, I guess you're used to it. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing all kinds of wild shit here. Wow. So it's a good thing wow. I was with Sarah because she took care of me and got me home. That is awesome. But, but yeah, that was a great time. But I was, you know, it, it is amazing to me. Anytime a celebrity uh, says he's seen any of my stuff and it's cool to me and it's not just trying to meet the porn stars. And I've got some close friends to, to this day. You, you know, I, I would say a lot of these guys turned out to be douchebags. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. You know, I worked as an extra on movie sets for a year or so and, and – you know, like I was in anger management, believe it or not, uh, with um, oh, with Sandler uh, and Nicholson. Yes. So, but we got cut. So there's a scene where uh, Jack Nicholson is walking through the courthouse, bouncing a basketball. Mm -hmm. So if they had, and it took us like all night to film that segment, and then it ended up being like one second, and then you can't even see who's standing behind him. <laughs> but me and this other hot girl were walking behind Jack Nicholson. Uh, but, uh, you know, I got to I got to meet a lot of celebrities. I, I spent a lot of time talking to uh, Clint Eastwood one night. He's one of the coolest guys ever. Okay. And at the same time, I learned that a lot of these guys, they're not special people. They're just people that can memorize lines and act. Yeah. You know, there are great ones. Danny DeVito is a great human being. He's an amazing person. I talked to him for quite a while on a set one time. Um, so, you know, there are a few, but there are a lot of them that it's like you meet your celebrity idol and then you go, oh. Well, who yeah. who was the – because there's, you know, a lot of those in that world, they have reputations. So who, if you can, if you're comfortable, who was one who sometimes, like, has a negative reputation, but you met him and was really cool? And is there someone – if you're comfortable saying was vice versa, who everyone says they're so nice, but when you, and we, you know, I preface this by like, we're not here judging someone because it could have been a bad day or a bad whatever. And every, we all have bad moments. So it doesn't mean that we're saying that they're bad people like necessarily, but like, did you ever have like that where you're like, Oh, I heard so-and-so was difficult or not nice, but 
they were pretty cool to talk to or be around. Well, uh, so I don't want to mention the name of celebrities that I met as a porn person. No, no, I mean, as... but but I'll mention, yeah. So going back to those days, I remember Brittany Murphy was just deplorable. Um, you know, like she came on the set, she was late, drunk, a mess. We had to, she kept messing up takes. Uh, there was some movie where she got married. Remember that one? Is that uh, with Ashton Kutcher? Ashton Kutcher, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Just, just Married, I think, right? Just Married. So we were like extras working in the audience. And at one point, so I was on the groom side and we were supposed to like be obnoxious. So they did the, they said, you know, uh, I do. And me and another guy jumped up and did a chest bump. And the director ran over and said, yes, that was great. We're going to use that. And then, and then they didn't. But, um, but I remember her just like ruining all of our days by just being horrible on set. Uh, in terms of guys that I met that were better than advertised, I remember uh, being on a little shuttle bus one time with Paul Giamatti, and he was just awesome. He kept us, you know, there were probably four or five of us on the bus. Usually they would tell the extras, don't you dare talk to the main actors. But Paul was, like, asking all of us questions, and, and uh, he was entertaining. He was making jokes with all of us and making us all laugh. He was a good dude. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, always cool because I, I, I've had those experience, and I, I can be honest, like, for me, as crushing as it was to meet someone who you looked up to and be a complete, like, dick to you, um, it was a lesson in what you're saying. Like, they're just people, so be respectful, but don't, you know, they're, they're human beings, so not to, and I've kind of kept that, you know, which I'm glad for, you know, when I have met people later on through different things, um, to just remember that. But it, it, I, I can always remember when it happened to me, and it was a, it was a, it was crushing. It was. I was younger. I was like nineteen. I was in college, but it, it sucked. You want to hear a funny celebrity story? Um, always. One time, I was on jury duty, and I got. I was doing my jury duty in Beverly Hills. And so they say, okay, well, you guys take a lunch break and then come back and come back in an hour. So I walk outside and there's a girl walking to a restaurant and it's like, hey, you know, she's kind of hot. So I introduced myself to her and, and we walked um, to a restaurant. We sat down in the restaurant and I noticed that people were staring at us. So then I was like, uh-oh, so somebody knows me from porn and they're going to come over here and say something. And then this is going to be totally embarrassing with this girl. And they came over and they were like, oh, my God, it's so great to meet you. Can I have your autograph uh, to her, to the girl? And I'm mm -hmm. like, uh-oh, who's she? <laughs> so the whole – it's like everyone in there was being so nice to her and coming up to her and, and uh, saying hello and stuff. And, and it's like, boy, this is – she's a big star. And I don't know how to ask her, like, who the hell she is. I've never heard of this person. Or I've never seen her before. Right. But um, she was really cool. And we had this great lunch together. And uh, and then I did and tell her I was in the porn industry and stuff like that. And she said, well, I'm really interested in that. And, uh, uh, you know, like, I have a talk show. So maybe I can have you on the talk show sometime to talk about it. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. And, st and I gave her my number. But I still didn't know her name. And it took me... <laughs> You know, obviously, when I went home, I, was, I had to start looking through pictures and stuff. So it was Cheryl Hines, who oh. is on the uh, Curb Your Enthousi Enthusiasm, mm -hmm. and a million other things. And what a wonderful person she is. Like, 
somehow uh, I ended up at this lunch that she had planned with somebody else. But just because I had started walking with her and it was nice, she had invited me to join them for lunch. And all of a sudden I was in this Hollywood lunch with her and her friend. That is awesome. I, and it's so weird. Um, because when we were talking about heel person, like personalities and why I was thinking I was, and I didn't say it, but like hearing Larry David talk about curb your enthusiasm and why he likes, you know, cause on the show he's Larry David, but he, he says just the most outrageous things. And he yeah. says like, he's like, I don't say me in my real life, even though the same name, he's like the character Larry David is different in real life. Larry David, he's like, I don't say those things in my real life, but he's like, I'm not going to lie for some, for a lot of them. I wish I could say them to people, <laughs> but I don't, but I, yeah. you know, and so it's like kind of fun for him that he can say all of, he just get his thoughts on, you know, just kind of free flowing from his mind to his mouth and out the door. So I was thinking about that example. So it's funny that you mentioned, cause I love Kirby enthusiasm. So like, that that's really cool you you know with cheryl hines that is awesome awesome lady just an awesome lady yeah no well glenn um i guess just to finish up because i appreciate the time and it's been great i definitely want to have you back on because i can ask you so much more what's um from one podcaster to another is there anything upcoming with the podcast or or and, and and you can advertise so you talk about wrestling if there's other stuff too but Definitely want to, because I would love, I love your podcast and what you do with it. And is there any upcoming episodes or things that you're, you're doing with that or anything, but for us to look for, for you. Uh, I haven't been doing the podcast lately because I stopped making DVDs and that is great, but it's, it's, uh, it's taken up more of my time just trying to promote and get all my stuff up through my million different distribution channels. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I have had a couple of people say, you know, like Jimmy Wang says he wants to be on the podcast and I tried to get him to be on somebody else's podcast. Who's a friend of mine. And he was like, nah, I don't want to do anybody's podcast, but yours. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I haven't been doing podcasts. So I, I will probably do an episode of the podcast pretty soon, but not too much to promote going on with the podcast right now, but always stuff to promote with mean We've got, um, a new cuckold scene coming out pretty soon, which hopefully we'll film this week. Uh, the website is doing fantastic. If you look at, if you look at my Twitter, which is Glen King XXX, that's G L E N N K I N G XXX mm-hmm. on Twitter, you will see a little link tree that goes to all my various places where you can check out, you know, there's two different types of people that we market to. There's ones that just want to join the website and get, an update three times a week and just get something with different, different with pictures and videos and whatever. Uh, and then there's, and pay a monthly fee for that. And then there's others who just want to get a specific clip because right. they have something very specific that they're into, whether it be foot worship or ass worship or face sitting or, or cuckold or all the things that we do. And we do a lot of little fetishes, armpit licking and uh, uh, you know, who knows what else, choking, spitting, slapping. Uh, you can go, people can go check that out. Go, go hit our little link tree, check out our clip stores. You'll find just a little bit of everything related to female domination in there. So, so, you know, go do that. We're always got something exciting coming up now in terms of the world of pro wrestling. I am not done with pro wrestling. Uh, it was supposed to be a one shot deal, but I think it went well enough to the point where we are going to be able to do a follow up to this in a few months. 
So keep an eye on my Instagram. My Instagram is glennkingx uh, underscore xx, uh, and my Twitter. So you can see you'll, you'll see promos of me trying to antagonize Jimmy Wang, Jimmy Little Wang as I call him, <laughs> over the next few months to try to get him to do another one of these things to come back to Vegas. And I have all kinds of ideas in terms of how to antagonize him and mean horrible things that I can do to him once we get uh, once we get him back to Vegas. So hopefully I'll get another chance to be in a in a ring pretty soon here and who knows I'll probably get beaten up again but that's okay. No, I, I um I tell everyone I follow Glenn and and you know watch his video and it's well worth it. Like it is awesome to do and as someone who is also a big pro wrestling fan I'm not a wrestling promoter, but I can say, at least in my opinion, no, it you did well enough, and that's why you're you're going to keep coming back because it was awesome to see and it was great. So, kudos to you, big up to you, and it's awesome, man. If I wasn't a porn director, I think they probably would have seen that and said, "Oh, this guy's a sniveling great manager. We need to use him more often over at FSW." Um, but being a porn director, I you know I think. They want to keep the show family friendly to some degree because everybody in the wrestling business who runs a small territory is hoping that the WWE will become interested in them. Yeah. And uh, and that's the problem is you can't do too much with a porn director without getting creating the perception with the WWE that you're you're firm and <laughs> you're the kind of filthy people that they don't want to be involved with. Right. No. Um but, but I'm anti I'm not well it's not that I'm anti WWE. I just I don't watch WWE. I just don't find it to be as fun as AEW or Impact or MLW or one of the other ones. Um you know what's funny it's um I have to make the network and the network I think is really good. It, it has some hot and cold times, but it always has the old school stuff and like some of the documentaries which never get old. I I'll be honest what saves it for me is honestly the the, the women's like evolution and like watching them like if they didn't have that the past what has been six seven years um i probably would be a zero on it but i have really enjoyed that much more than i have what the men have been doing but uh i really do like impact and aew has been awesome so it's cool to see like there's other options you know once like the monday night wars ended it felt like it was WWE or nothing, so it's cool to kind of to see there's other options out there. Like, like AEW has done something I find to be absolutely wonderful lately, especially uh, where they'll take a storyline and let it develop organically for months mm-hmm. before they get to the payoff. You know, I've been watching this thing with the Dark Order and Hangman Page for months, just going like, yes. okay, you know, and you have to watch. It spans across multiple shows. You have to watch. Uh, BTE, uh, which stands for uh, Being the Elite well, on YouTube, in order to really keep up with what's been going on with Adam Page and the Dark Order. Uh, but it finally had a payoff this week after all these twists and turns and curves on this thing for months. And I'm like, man, for the first time watching wrestling in maybe a couple of years, I jumped up out of my chair and was screaming, cheering like a just like a little kid mark again. When they when they did that thing with Adam Page this week, I don't want to ruin it for your listeners in case anybody hadn't seen it yet. Right? No, it's it is so awesome, and I think that's where people always like to have a debate of which era of wrestling is better or this or that. I I always say this: 
right now is the best time to be a wrestling fan. And even like what we're doing, like yeah. the wrestling podcasts that are out there and, you know, and, and, and differently, like it's really just an awesome time because you're getting so much content and you're getting the content of, you know, on it, like, like in, in the ring, it's great, but then you're getting the behind the scenes stuff that 25 years ago, we weren't privy to unless you just read like Dave Meltzer or something, you know? Right. Right. No, absolutely. You get to see a lot more now. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I find I think being the elite is like this maybe the best show on all of TV. It's I great. I watch that religiously. Love that show. It's great. No, and I I think that's why, you know, I, I like Conrad Thompson and like something to wrestle with and all his podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, and him doing the star cast and getting to see like, you know, Cody Rhodes has a he's a great performer, but he's a great mind. And I love that he took a chance on yeah. himself and you see it in AEW, and I think that's why a Chris Jericho is going there, and other people who are like, they're these creative guys, and no disrespect to Vince McMahon, you can love him or hate him, but he's made a great impact, but they, they want to get out from under that WWE machine. He just makes some, I mean, he's, look, Vince McMahon is the greatest of all time at, at what he does, but he just makes some horrible decisions sometimes that don't take into account his viewers, and I think part of that, and, and maybe I have that problem too sometimes, is that once you've been doing it for 20 years, you just get stubborn in your ways. And you're like, this is the way I want to do it. And I don't want anybody to tell me how to do it. And you just make a decision and you roll with it. And then you realize, hmm, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, there's the show Insight with Chris Van Fleet. And it's a no, pod, it's a podcast, but you could get it on anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can go on YouTube and see it, uh, the visual. But he had Freddie Prince Jr. on as a guest, and Freddie Prince Jr. like yeah, yeah the same he's a writer. He was a writer for WWE, and hearing him, I've heard him talk about it in the past on different shows, but this was the best where he talked about the job so well, like in detail, but also talked about Vince McMahon's thinking. And it was a fast, so yeah. anyone, like, if you yeah. haven't, like I say, listen to that, because Freddie Prince Jr. was a great interview, a great guest, but him talking about pro wrestling and the mindset of WWE and, and working in that environment, very was fascinating and, and entertaining. Um, so Insight with Chris Van Fleet, it was it was very recent. Oh, check it out. Yeah, yeah, I think the end of, it was January 29th, it, it dropped. So you can go on YouTube or listen to the podcast, but that was really good and really fascinating too to hear to hear him talk about it um it's so much cooler though to to let the wrestlers have a lot of input into their own angles yeah um, some of them are really good at it it was a real thrill for me to to be in the production meeting last week uh, at the fsw and to to help the wrestlers flesh out what we were going to do in the ring i thought that was really cool uh and then you know an impact watching them do all their storylines too and, and you know at one point being in a in a hotel room with Don Callis and Jimmy Jacobs as they were coming up with a plan for some stuff was really cool. Well, so. let me ask you then, does that has doing this kind of helped you? Maybe it has or hasn't with like, then doing like mean bitches, like video, like, like how much of that is, um, a collaborate, like letting like, like the performers, whether say you have a Julie cash or a Laura Jensen, just throwing out names, Sophia yeah. Rose, how much of it, like, are you taking like, have you or will you start? I don't know if you do or not. Like that collaboration of like maybe le like letting the performers kind of 
create that character or kind of create that scene or situation? Yeah, I've always done that. I've always done that um, uh, to, I always encourage every performer to make the scene their own, Mm -hmm. you know, and I tell them that, look, I've done 2000 scenes. And at this point I've only got, you know, let's say 10 go-to plots that we start with. And it's up to you as the performers to improvise out something to make this scene unique. So I always encourage them to find ways to be unique. But but to answer your question, I've learned a lot from watching the pro wrestling guys behind the scenes in terms of of uh, coaching improvisation. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. You can see it over the last couple of years in my stuff, ever since I started hanging around pro wrestling people, that uh, suddenly I, I am getting more some interesting things to happen from a physical standpoint and then the blocking and stuff. You, you know, uh, Eric uh, Tompkins, I think is his name, over at Impact is – one of the most talented um, video guys that you're ever going to see. You know, like he does, if you see, if you watch a video of theirs and you're like amazed at the camera work and the filming and, and just the angles he takes and all that stuff, it's all that guy. Uh, I, I had some involvement in the thing where impact uh, went to the realm of what, what do they call it? The dark realm or something like uh-huh. that. You ever, you ever see this now where yeah. they, they had a wrestler who, took another wrestler into another dimension and they were fighting with swords and then somebody got killed. Somebody actually got physically killed on impact. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Cause then he showed up on AEW last week of doing the officiating the wedding somehow. But, uh, I was involved with that project and I, I was in, amazed at the blocking and the camera angles they were taking and the, just the, the amount that they did, if you go back and watch that episode of Impact, you will think that you are looking at another dimension. Yes. And in fact, they were in a very small space with really limited resources. And, and I get so that's what I'm getting at is that like wrestling and porn are similar in that when we're trying to tell a story, we really have very limited resources. They're stuck in a in an eight by eight squared ring mm-hmm. squared circle and then we're we're working with a corner of a set usually but if you look at my videos and you think that i've got tons of different sets and just you know and this giant warehouse full of different things um it's really not the case we've got two or three rooms we shoot in and we just repaint and change it up and work in a corner of the room the whole time no that and and that's why i think it's, it's a great comparison with with porn and wrestling when done well now you know sometimes it doesn't look always the best and it doesn't come out but you know when done it's like the ultimate yeah. art form like both of them like the ultimate storytelling ultimate art form it can be it's so awesome like it's not it, it's really cool that's why i have so much respect for always for pro wrestling and and also for porn because like it's it is it's not easy. i think so many times i hear people say I think with pro wrestling, I don't hear as much as I did because now we see more, but like with both people just think, Oh, I I could be a porn star. And I'm like, it's, it's not just rolling out of bed and just having sex. Like, like, you know, like there's so much more that goes into it. That is, that, that is an art form to do it. And then for those people, like we, and we've named so many on here who keep so many people wanting to come back and see their newest video. Like that is a unbelievable talent and, and skill. There's a lot more to it if you're doing it right, which not everybody does. Right. You know, like even something simple like a pizza guy scene like we're doing on Wednesday, 
uh, it takes planning. You just have to think about, you know, I mean, you can make it in a shitty way if you want to, but you know, like you got to go, well, okay, well, how's your pizza guy going to get in the house? And then how's your pizza guy going to get into the bedroom? Or are you going to do it in the bedroom? Are you going to do it in the living room? And what are the two or three things that you're going to use that, uh, you know, the two or three props that let tell the story that, you know, let people know it's a pizza guy, uh, you know, or what device are you going to use to give people the backstory? This whole thing it's you know if you're gonna do it right you're gonna come up with those things before you get on set so awesome. you get a lot of questions to ask yourself. Yeah. i was lucky enough i'm gonna drop one more name here but joe napolitano who um passed away a couple years ago of cancer was a uh, very famous director he was uh, ad on scarface and did all kinds of stuff with brian de palma uh i met him through a friend and when i first moved to the industry uh, first moved to hollywood he was very kind enough to take me under his wing and show me a few things about directing that I think about every single time that I walk to set these days. And I wish I, uh, wish he wasn't, hadn't passed away so that I could tell him these things. Oh, that's, 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 you know, I'm, I'm obviously sad, you know, for he passed away and for your loss, but it's, it's cool that it always, you know, I always like to say, you know, to people on air, off air, wherever, like no one does it alone. And that's why it's important to, to feed, you know, to give that information, like pass that knowledge along, because like we all like, you know, may, and there could be a few others. Maybe he he said something to who didn't take it and run with it like you did, but it's worth it when you see like someone like yourself like take it and use it, and like it's it's implanted in your brain. And every time you direct, you're you're thinking of those nuggets that he showed you. Like it's it's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I was blessed. But Glenn, this was incredible. This is awesome, man. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure. It's a very enjoyable podcast. You do a great podcast. Uh, I've been on some podcasts that aren't so great, you know, in terms of people really putting the effort to be good at communication skills and broadcasts. So I uh, like to compliment you. This oh. is this is great. I wouldn't say that to somebody that I didn't think was was great so please have me back i would love to come on again yes yes and and thank you those the, I, those words mean a lot and we, we try and and we will definitely be if you're open to it we're going to have you back because your story what you is so interesting i could have kept you for another two and a half three hours alone asking questions and talking about things so we'll definitely have you back on but thank you so much sounds great thank you d-rock and for the one and only Hall of Famer, Glenn King, I'm D-Rock. Thank you guys for listening to the After Hours Sessions. Take care.